What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, as always, Jack Vita. We are back today on Wednesday, the 28th of December, 2022, final days of 2022, as we move into 2023. And I've got a lot of fun plans for the new year, a lot of fun guests lined up, and hopefully a lot of fun people will be speaking to, such as the next episode that you guys should be hearing will be with Ryan Dull, who pitched on the Oakland A's, and he's right now in independent league trying to claw his way back to the big league. So that should make for a very fun conversation. If you don't want to miss out on that episode, make sure you subscribe to the Jack Vita show, wherever it is that you get your podcast. Last week, I spoke with Ryan Packett and we did a lot of MLB hot stove breakdown, catch you guys up on the first few weeks of the MLB offseason and all of the big contracts going out. We, we focus pretty heavily on the big shortstop contracts today. We're going to, we'll, I'm sure we'll touch on that a little bit, especially with this Correa news. There's a lot to get to with Correa. Trevor Bauer could be pitching next year. We'll discuss that. And we've got a couple of big time baseball fans on with us today. So we're going to talk about their teams and I'm sure we'll touch on plenty of other happenings from the MLB offseason, some interesting concepts and ideas and stuff of that nature. So again, if you guys like what you hear today, subscribe to the Jack Vita show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is that you get your podcast. So uh, today is going to be a very fun edition of the show. We have not one, but two guests on the Stars of the Survivor Historians podcast, one of the most popular podcasts when it comes to reality television. These guys have been doing it for about 10 years. And of course, uh, Mario Lanza is here. He's been on the show uh, probably four or five times now. Uh, Mario is a huge Seattle Mariners fan. And at one point, he started up his own Seattle sports blog, was basically the Bill Simmons of Seattle was how he was known in the late 90s. Mario, how are you doing? I am doing good. Thank And thank you for pointing out that there's four people on Survivor Historians, but Jay and I are the stars. So, <laughs> thank you for pointing that out because I didn't want to say that out loud. <laughs> There, you guys are the stars because you love baseball. You're the only ones who talk sports on the Survivor Historians. It'd be a little interesting if I tried to bring the other two on and had a conversation about stuff we're going to talk about today. I don't know how well that would go. Yeah, I, I will let Jay comment on this more. But yeah, we've often joked about that, that the divide between online reality TV fans and sports fans could not be any wider. Like there's, there's almost no overlap whatsoever. And Jay and I are two of the lone wolves left in this community. So thank you for pointing that out. Well, I think it's interesting and we'll welcome Jay in, in a second. I think it's interesting because I was just telling you guys before we started recording how I've been a longtime survivor fan and have never really participated in what internet fans think about the show. I would say that there are a lot of sports fans athletes, people who love Survivor, who just don't participate online. Um, in fact, the guy I'm going to be speaking with later today, Ryan Dull, is actually a longtime Survivor fan. He loves the show and has been watching since Australian Outback. Yeah, and that's not that's not surprising to me. I, I know there's a lot of sports fans. They're just not the loud ones. You don't hear yeah. from them. Yeah, yeah, they're more loud about sports. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So Mario's here. And for the first time joining us on this show, Mario brought along Jay Fisher, who he's been doing 
every single i believe you guys have been on every single episode of survivor historians together there's been a little bit of some guys in some guys out these two have been together the entire way and jay i connected with him a few months back i've long been a fan of the historians long fan of been a fan of both these guys jay uh first of all is a huge dodgers fan um he grew up in southern california now he lives in the midwest and Jay, I think something that's interesting here. First, I want to say hello. Welcome to the show. And I got Hi. something else. Good to have you here. Hey, it's good to be here. It's good to be, <laughs> any- it's good to be anywhere, really. <laughs> so, Jay, why don't you tell the listeners what you originally wanted to be when you went to college? What did you originally go to Michigan State University for? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I initially... My first major was in uh, journalism, specifically broadcast journalism. I actually wanted to be like either a sports writer or, for lack of a better word, to be some sort of like stadium announcer in some way. Like it was, it was along those paths, you know, something where I could be at a ball field somewhere and and talk. That was really what I wanted to do. Mario, did you know that about your longtime friend Jay? I actually did not know that. That's the one thing I think I don't know about my uh, my my internet podcasting spouse. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew he was a Dodgers fan, but I didn't know that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, what made you shift away from pursuing that as your career? Uh, as I grew older, I realized that I am a massive, massive introvert. And, <laughs> you know, part of being a good journalist in a lot of ways is not being afraid to go up to someone and just for lack of a better word not be rude as far as as you know being socially wrong or awkward or 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 making yourself bad but you know you have to insert yourself into situations get in there try to get the story try to talk to people you know be dogged with with how you investigate or 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 gather resources or gather information and stuff like that and i just after a while realized that going out and doing those things was just not what I wanted to do. And so it, it, it just sort of became a thing where as, as I was getting further into my communication and broadcast journalism classes, I just was like, this is not the Avenue in which that is best for me. So I stopped. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I've seen that with some people I've, interacted with some college students recently it's kind of funny because i'm 28 i'm i'm really young still and i'm really early in my own journalism career but now i'm at the point where i'm starting to have college age kids wanting to pick my brain or connect with me and i've noticed that with some of these one of these some of these people i interact with and so in some ways i kind of feel like i'm a scout for a team and i'm assessing people and i just kind of you can look at some of these people and say do they have that kind of personality? Because in addition to everything that you just said, Jay, there's so much more to it than 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 even that. It's you have to be extremely good at connecting with people, not only to put yourself in a position to get a job because it's a very competitive field to get uh, jobs in sports journalism. So you have to be well connected and really make lots and lots and lots of friends and really enjoy networking and calling people. But then the next level of that, which is something that I'm trying to continually work at is establishing connections and relationships with players, uh, managers, people in, or, you know, maybe in other sports, it's coaches, executives, scouts, you, you have to have agents, 
you have to have all these um, connections and relationships and you have to feel comfortable reaching out to these people, connecting these people, sometimes getting the door slammed in your face. And in order for you to be able to be a good reporter that gets information and reports on stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's different because I do, you know, I, I'm, I work in education now, but part of what I teach is I teach um, performing arts theater. It's what I do uh, as a hobby and as a passion. So it's very funny because people will come up to me and say, <clears throat> you know, uh, how can you do theater where you go on stage and perform in front of, you know, hundreds to thousands of people and be an introvert? And it's like, because there's a distance there yeah. in, in between those things. And it's like, you know, but it's it's still kind of that same skill set where you need to be able to connect with people and you need to be able to, you know, understand certain ways. And hey, the door slams in your face all the time when you go to an audition and you get no's and, and things like that. So there are parts of the journalism yeah. field that I still experience with what I chose to do with my life. But as you said, with, with, with a lot of the, you know, really networking and making connections, that is not a thing that I am about at all. And so... Uh, I'm not jealous of you, but uh, <laughs> but at this but at the same time, uh, I am envious of your skill set because I do. Oh, not thank you. Them. I appreciate that. I very much appreciate that. So, Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit about your Dodgers fandom? So, you grew up in Southern California, and you've been a long long time fan of the team. Is that correct? That is correct. I grew up in uh, I grew up in Torrance, California, which is a large city. It's it's very weird to say a suburb of Los Angeles because Torrance in and of itself is several hundred thousand people, and it might actually have more population than the city I live in right now, which is Grand Rapids, Michigan, which is the second largest city in the state of Michigan. Yeah, it's so pretty it's, big. It's it's very weird to, uh, you know, think about those sorts of things. But <laughs> yeah, I grew up in the South Bay area in Southern California. And so because of that, uh, you know, you gravitate towards your local team. So growing up when I was a small child... Uh, it was the Dodgers, it was the Lakers, and uh, it was the L.A. Rams. There was the L.A. Raiders as well, but I chose the Rams over the Raiders. But they both left me, so uh, we don't we don't speak of them anymore. I, <laughs> I gravitated somewhat towards the San Francisco 49ers, but really because they were that was the Montana era, and yeah. they were winning a lot, and my teams had left me, and I was like, well, I guess they're California, but you know, it's Northern California, and you don't. You don't really, really want to mix there uh, with, with, their, <laughs> so, with whatnot. But yeah, Dodgers, Lakers, Kings are kind of my teams. And uh, the Dodgers, uh, you know, most notably, uh, I was seven years old in 1988 when uh, they won the World Series with the famous Kirk Gibson home run and Oral Hershiser. And that sort of when you're when you're young and you root for a team and then they win a World Series, it sort of solidifies that for you as well. So the Dodgers have been through some absolute lean years, you know, especially in the nineties and the early two thousands, there was there was not a ton there. But they've been a very, very solid team for the past decade plus. And so it's made me very happy. Who are your favorite players growing up on the Dodgers? <clears throat> um or in Major League Baseball. Or in Major League Baseball. Uh, my absolute my two favorite players, because when I played baseball as a youth, I was a contact hitter, like a leadoff hitter type. Yeah, player. me too. So I always, I always gravitate towards people who can flat out rake. So <clears throat> even though he was not on the Dodgers, my favorite player growing up was Tony Gwynn, mm. um, because of the way he could hit. And then as a, as a, as an adult, my favorite player, bar none, hands down, is Ichiro. 
You know what's funny is Mario is a huge uh, Mariners <laughs> fan, and he never has been like a huge, huge like loves Ichiro kind of guy. The way that he's loved some of his other favorite heroes. Would you like me to expound on that? Please. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Jay and I, this is interesting how we kind of met in the online survivor community is that he's from Torrance, California, and he's an expat now living out of state. I'm from Seattle. I'm an expat fan or I'm an expat. But when I moved to California where I live now, I moved to Torrance. So we both have this weird Torrance connection where we both lived there for maybe like a year before he left. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to point that out. We're both out of state fans now of our original teams. Yeah. Um, so I was a big stats guy. I love baseball stats. I love baseball simulations. I was doing the money ball stuff back in the 80s. My brother and I would just run hundreds, hundreds of simulation leagues and dice leagues and stuff. So I got very attuned early on to what makes a baseball team good from a statistical point of view. And it's really on base percentage. On base percentage is the big thing. You don't want to give away outs. It's the whole Billy Bean stuff. Like exactly everything Billy Bean says in Moneyball, that's how I would always build these fantasy teams I was making back in the 80s. Like we're talking 86, 87, 88. So I'm a Ricky Henderson guy. I'm a Wade Boggs guy. These guys that get on base and never make outs. Ichiro was fun. Like I appreciated his skill set. But in stat games and in dice games, he's not all that great because he makes a lot of outs. And the thing with Ichiro, he did, he doesn't walk very much. So from like a, as a stat nerd like me, I just never gravitated to that type of player because he doesn't really produce for you in these online simulations. So that's the best I could describe it. I never really did uh, fantasy baseball, so that didn't matter as much to me. I agree. Yeah, you live more in the real world than I do. So I, but I'm <laughs> yeah. But I, I do I do acknowledge the fact that Ichiro's. Um, he doesn't walk a ton, which mm-hmm. is, you know, not not which is unusual for someone with his skill set. But going back to it, who are my favorite Dodgers growing up? I mean, uh, really, the Dodgers. I mean, they had, you know, when they had no business winning that '88 World Series. Um, like other than Kirk Gibson, they had just a pile of garbage out on the field. <laughs> as was like the Dodgers were notorious for pitching for most of their time. So. As a Dodger fan, a lot of my favorite players ended up being pitchers for a long time. So growing up, my favorite two players were Oral Hershiser and Fernando. Mm-hmm. Oral Hershiser was great. He was one of my favorites, even though I didn't live through that era. But like just watching old games and reading books and stuff like that, he was one, he's a guy I really liked. And I watched over the summer, there was this fantastic... MLB Network documentary about the Cleveland Indians from the 1990s where it was the dynasty that never was, I think is what it was called. And there's a story about Oral Hershiser pitching in the postseason in one of those years. And he had a game, his first game of the postseason, he wasn't great. And Lasorda calls him up and says, you were weak out there. What was that? You were a chihuahua. Give me the bulldog. I want the bulldog. Let's go. So he fired him up, and then he was he he was the bulldog. <laughs> I appreciate Hershiser on a lot of levels, and I think one of the reasons I really like Hershiser was he pitched in a way. I mean, he every time he pitched, he basically was killing his arm, you know, yeah. f- further than other people were. And you know, I think as a pitcher, you sort of get that way where you know you come in with electric stuff, and you get to a point where maybe you have a Tommy John surgery or maybe you have some, you know, surgery or issue or you're out for a season with some sort of injury. And then, you know, you basically come to a 
realization where you're like, do I keep pitching the way I pitch, knowing that I will only have a couple more years? Or do I change my pitching style and maybe not be as dominant as I once was, but I try to elongate my career? And I mean, Hershiser just chose the former and was just like, I'm going to pitch until my arm is dead. And he did. And I don't think he pitched quite long enough and he didn't have quite the stats to become a Hall of Famer. And I think that that was a sacrifice he made for himself and his teams. And in a way, I appreciate that. I actually have two things I could point out about Hershiser that'll make you feel better, Jay. <laughs> so I've played so many baseball simulations and fantasy leagues and stuff over the years. Hey, and, uh, Jay, these... this is the equivalent of his like Survivor fanfic stories. <laughs> no, uh, the... yeah, I'm, I'm my eyes are glazing over, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just telling you, the '88 Dodgers are one of the hardest teams to beat in like simulation leagues because they have three killer pitchers at the top of their rotation. So I know you said they just have a bunch of hot garbage behind Kurt Gibson, and that's true for their offense. But Leary, Belcher, and Hershiser is almost unbeatable when they're all on. That is a tough team to beat. So they're a better team than you give them credit for. Oh, Tim Belcher. What a what a what an underrated hero. I'm just telling you, in the 88 season, he is amazing. And Hershiser, yeah. yeah, all three of those. And the other thing I wanted to point out about Hershiser is that a lot of people may not remember this, but Seattle, my team, the Mariners, had the big run in 1995 where we, you know, the refuse to lose, the big see t- uh, the season that saved baseball in Seattle. That season ended because of Oral effing Hershiser on the Indians. He all of a sudden became a renaissance pitcher in the playoffs in 95 when he's way past his prime, and he shut us down. So Hershiser is the one that ended the 95 Mariners season on the Indians. Yeah, that was it. That was what they're talking about in that documentary. So mm-hmm. um, Dodgers had some great teams, uh, especially that 88 team, and now they've had this really great era for the past decade Jay, the Dodgers have had a, a, an interesting offseason so far. They really have not made Was any... it interesting? I'd say so. I'd <laughs> say it's interesting in that they haven't really done a whole lot. That's, That's why I think uninteresting, it's... Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, this is before they signed Correa, right? We haven't... Yeah, that hasn't happened yet. Never. Please <laughs> never. <laughs> so the Dodgers, uh, they grabbed J.D. Martinez. They grabbed Noah Syndergaard. So they got a couple of one-year contracts. They they picked up a couple of their guys, I believe, that I'm not remembering. But they've done a couple of those smaller-scale moves. We'll get into that in a second, but I think we should start here with really the one of the biggest stories of the past week is that Trevor Bauer has had his suspension reduced, and he can pitch immediately. In 2023, Bob Nightingale says that the Dodgers are going to release him, but they have not done so. They have until January 6th to officially make a decision on that, I suppose. And that's uh, that's going to be a really interesting development. What's your take on Bauer, Jay? Um, I mean... In a, in in a in an ideal world, I feel like Trevor Bauer doesn't pitch any for for any major league team ever again. But I think he will. Um, but I think that for the Dodgers' sake, I think they need to release him. And I know that that's dead money. And I know that that's a, a live arm that they're missing uh, in their rotation. You know, with Bauer not being there. But I think that you know, if Bauer can, I don't know, make amends, which I feel is knowing his his. Uh, his proclivities is probably not a thing, but 
you know, I think Bauer needs to get on another team and just rehabilitate his image in some way. But I think that because he was on the Dodgers when he had all of those troubles, I think that he needs to get off that team. Mario, would you accept him as a Mariner if you could pick up? I mean, this is where he's going to pitch somewhere because, look, you have to think about this. This was a Cy Young Award winner mm-hmm. uh, not that long ago that another team is going to pay for. So if you're a small market team where I personally like he could go, I think he could go back to Cleveland and I don't think it's going like there's going to be some type of public relations hit that you Mm -hmm. take. But if you're a team that does not have the same kind of financial resources as a team like the Dodgers, if you're able to look past this other stuff, which we don't, we won't get into, but you can acquire like a legitimate ace on the league minimum, essentially, and have another team pay his salary. Yeah, this is an easy question for me, because, but I'm also a bigger uh, talent whore than most people. <laughs> I'll take anybody. I don't care who they are. I, I still think the Mariners should sign Barry Bonds. <laughs> like, I've been holding out for that for 15 years. Sign Bonds. He'd be amazing. So, yeah, I, I would absolutely sign Bauer in a second just because Seattle needs talent, but there is no way. Seattle is such a PR team. And I know their fan base is very PR driven. There is no way he's ending up in Seattle. So my opinion is irrelevant on this one. Yeah, I think like Cleveland or Tampa, like a a situation where the team really like in Tampa, the team does not get the same kind of attention as a team like Seattle or L.A. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like and you don't have a whole lot of money. Like I I don't know. I just think of like the kind of the, the cruel GM aspect of things if i'm building a team and i'm unemotionally attached to players i think this would be a i mean it has the potential to be an amazing pickup and what jay's saying too is it, it makes 100 sense for him to move on from that organization and potentially like he said uh rehabilitate his image Yeah. I mean, on paper, he's a great pickup, but there's going to be baggage. And it really just depends on who's willing to take on that other side of it. And even even before this stuff, there was some baggage there Mm -hmm. before with this guy. Like this guy's a yes. Go ahead, Jay. Well, I was just going to say, even with his year on the Dodgers, it was when you when he was on the mound and he had a start, it was pretty great because he was a good pitcher and he gave you quality innings. And, you know, he has the competitive juices and all that sort of stuff. So every time Bauer pitched when he was on the Dodgers, I enjoyed it. But, you know, you look at his his social media stuff, his YouTube channel, you look at all that sort of stuff, you could tell that he rubbed the Dodgers the wrong way. Yeah. And, and, you know, this is not like, look, with the allegations that ha- that that went against him, you know, it's hard to defend a lot of those sorts of things. But you can tell, like, if, if this was some beloved figure in the locker room and all this happened, there would have been more Dodgers saying, like, I'm so surprised, or, you know, he just needs to get some help, and I think that, you know, if he, you know, it wasn't any of those things. It was when that happened, like, Mookie Betts and a bunch of people were like, yeah, get him out of here. And it wasn't just because of the allegations. It was, you can tell that he was not a locker room guy, and so, you know when Mario says, I'll take all the talent I want. And like, that's cool. But like the Mariners last year made a very impressive run on a lot of their good vibes. And I feel like you bring Bauer into that clubhouse mm-hmm. that might ruin a bunch of that. And so you better hope that his output 
is better than what he's putting into the locker room. So to me, it makes sense to get him more on a Tampa or or like a Baltimore or somebody yeah. where like they they desperately need somebody and locker mm-hmm. room stuff's not really what you care about at the moment, you know. But really, to me, if this feels like some evil empire picking him up, like he's going to go to Houston or San Diego, or <laughs> the Mets or something, they're just going to build on build on build. It's going to be like, who cares? We have a half a billion dollar juggernaut now. Who cares? Yeah, that's a good point. It's not like Houston. Like Houston can't take much more of a political hit, so why not just add to it? Who cares? That's kind of what I'm thinking. Like, yeah. might as well. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that would be interesting. I think the the Cincinnati Reds could do basically the reverse of the Raldis Chapman thing, where the you rewind back seven years ago, they sold Chapman to the Yankees in a deal where they were really selling low on him after the domestic violence stuff. The Yankees just said, "Screw it, we're the evil empire. Let's take him." And then they ended up, he he pitched well, people forgot, and they sold him for a really nice package to the Cubs at the trade deadline. Cincinnati could do the same thing right now and say, you know what, we're not going to compete this year. We're a small market team. Really, the, the PR hit is that they don't spend money. So they're not going to be good this year. You could get Bauer back where he pitched at his best in 2020. I know it was a COVID year and all of that. If he liked it there, maybe he liked it there. He could go back. And then at the trade deadline, if he's got a, let's say he's got a 2-3-2 ERA and a, a 0.9 whip, teams that are in contention are going to trade for him. Like mm-hmm. not Maybe not every team, but if you need a starting pitcher and this guy is p- pitching at that level, I think people will not, not necessarily forget, but they'll... They'll have a, sh- uh, I don't know what I should say. Uh, they'll move on. They'll, they'll, yeah, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but I also feel, you know, and I know that you were talking about how like salaries have really, you know, we, we've had a lot of long-term contracts this off season and, you know, salaries seem to have jumped up in price. I don't know if trade value has jumped up super great in, in comparison to that. And that also, that being said, you have Bauer who is baggage. So you have that PR hit if you're going to trade for him. And second of all, he's this is the last year of his contract. So it's not like you're going to trade for him and you've got him for another two years or something yeah. like that. Like, I know it's a po- I know it's a it's a postseason run loan, but I don't know how much. Like, if the Reds take him on and are like, well, we're going to take him on and hope he pitches well and then deal him at the trade deadline to a contender. I don't know how much they're going to get back because you're sitting there going like, it's Trevor Bauer. He's a Cy Young winner. They're going to get this, this, this. And it's like, I think they're going to get 50 cents on that dollar, probably 30 cents on that dollar. And maybe that's enough, but I don't know if it is. Right. That's that's a good point. And I also think that part of why we're seeing so this offseason, it's kind of like what's old is new. 20 years ago, we were seeing these crazy contracts. Even 10 years ago, we were seeing these big, big spending. A lot of teams like building through free agency, which is what we're seeing to a degree right now with Texas. San Diego continues to spend. The Mets. Uh, there are a couple other teams in there as well. But te- Philly. Philly has gone crazy with the spending. And they went to the World Series. And I think what's interesting was sometime in the last five years, we went in the opposite direction where teams were really hesitant to give out those long-term deals because they had seen how many of these contracts have 
hurt teams in the long run. So why do you think, why do you guys think that we are seeing this, uh, this big time spending right now? I mean, I, uh, I'll just give a simple answer. I think that the one that jumps out at me is that people realize it's only going to get worse in the future. So might as well spend this now because in a year it's going to be even worse. So like that's, I know Seattle's kind of doing that with their own. They're trying to lock up all this young talent before they hit free agency, because I think the stuff is going to start spiraling out of control as if it's not there already. So to me, the obvious thing is they're just trying to get it on the ground floor now because it's going to get even worse in two, three, four years. Meaning that these contracts are going to inflate even larger. Is what? Oh, yeah. Saying. I mean, what Correa got this year, that might be double in three years. Someone else will get a 20-year, you know, 800 million. Who knows? Like, I think that's the writing on the wall that I see is that this spending is just getting stupid. And a lot of people are like, most of the teams are kind of sitting it out because they just don't want to take that kind of a hit. But the ones that will take the risk are gambling that it's going to be even worse. And this will be a actually a pretty good deal in a couple of years. I think Jay, that, I think yeah, that a ahead, lot Jay. of teams, uh, you know, to me, it mirrors almost uh, the the how should I put this uh, movie studios that make movies. Um, there has been a marketed shift in what movie studios do in the past, like 25, 30 years. You know, when, when I was a kid, cause we were talking about, you, you know, we, we were chatting offline, uh, you know, we were talking about old movies, right. And, and a lot of the movies we were talking about, you know, especially baseball movies like rookie of the year and stuff like that, like that is a, a mid-level comedy, right? Like that's a, that's a comedy movie that you make for what, you know, 10, $15 million. And, you know, you, you put it on the box office and it makes, you know, 25 million at the box office or 30 million at the box office. And so you've like almost doubled your return and you're like, that's nice. And movie studios used to put out hundreds of those per the year and kind of TikTok those, uh, you know, things together. And now the strategy is I'm not going to make those movies. I'm going to make three movies. And each of those movies is going to cost 500 million to make. And two of them may flop, but if one of them makes $2 billion, we've, you know, recouped our money and investment and all that sort of stuff. And I think that with baseball teams, I think that, you know, the long-term contracts, especially with the cost, I think the players want the the money in the, in the years because that's guaranteed money. But I think that with a lot of teams, because a lot of teams look at like, you know, San Diego with the Xander Bogarts contract, you know, everyone's like, you really want to have Xander Bogarts nine years from now? Like, is that something you really... 11 years. <laughs> 11 years from now? Like, he's going to be, like, broken down by then? And the answer is, yeah, he is. But if they win a World Series in the next two to three years, it will have been worth it. Mm -hmm. And so they, they're just counting on, if we get one with all these contracts, you know, who cares if everybody's broken down and we have all this dead money in eight, nine, ten years? We got one. And so I think that's sort of the strategy for a lot of these teams is spend big, get one, and then we'll deal with the rest later. Yeah, that's what Philly's doing. Philly has been – Philly's gone crazy over the last few years in terms of these big contracts. They got Real Mudo, Harper, Turner, uh, Schwarber, Castellanos, and they're not I, – and I also think that Philly's run to the World Series encourages this. Because they got into the postseason last year as an 86 or 87, 88 win team, something like that. With that new post, I think this is what they were hoping to accomplish by adding that extra playoff team to each league. So now 86 wins is all you guys shoot for probably most years. 
you can get those 86 wins and anything can happen in October type of roll the dice. We get hot at the right time. We're uh, clicking on all cylinders. And that's what happened with Philly by assembling that team primarily through trade and free agency. And even though they did not win the World Series, they made a lot of money in terms of, and they 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 really uh, were in the good graces of the Phillies fans just by getting to that World Series. And I think there are a lot of Phillies fans that might even say, hey, you know what? We might not have won it, but the the fun that we had on that run was worth what we're doing right now, which might hurt us long-term. Now, they they're may not feel that way five, six years from now, but they feel that way now. I feel like, though, that the caveat is is that you got to win one, right? Because yeah. I, I agree with it in some ways, but like if Philly, you know, take the Dodgers. The Dodgers have had like about a decade of dominance. They've been near the top of payrolls and all that sort of stuff. And yes, you know, there are people that are like, oh, they won in the COVID season, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, hey, at the end of the day, they won a world championship, right? And should they, maybe, could they have won more in this stretch? Yes, they could have and all that other sort of stuff. We can coulda, woulda, shoulda it all you want, but... Sports is unpredictable, and and that's how things go, right? But I think that if the Phillies, you know, and the and the Padres and some of these teams, if they spend all this money and have all of these long contracts, and maybe they have several dominant seasons, and maybe they make postseason runs, and maybe they even make the World Series, but if they don't win the World Series, are those Philly fans going to look back and go, "God, we had a lot of fun times back in"? No, they will not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's not going to be there. You got to win at least one. So that's that's the gamble, I think, on these contracts is they're really gambling that they're going to get one. Right. And and they feel the fans feel that they're close right now. I have a lot of Philly fan friends. They think they're right there. They got Turner. Personally, I don't think they're going to do what they did last year because I really thought they caught lightning in a bottle. Now, maybe if they can get back into the postseason, maybe Citizens Bank Park is that hard to play at and they have this great home edge and that can that can power them on another run. But I just look at the teams in their division. I still think they're the third best team in that division. Yeah. It's interesting. The whole variable when uh, you start getting close and the fan base changes a little bit. And this is something we're seeing with Seattle right now too. I have never personally seen this in my lifetime. The reaction to Seattle fans to the Mariners right now, that it, the consensus seems to be they're pretty close. This like we could actually make the leap to being an elite team right now. And the fact that the Mariners aren't spending, and this ties into what you guys have been saying, the Mariners have not spent jack crap this offseason. And the fan base is revolting. Like, they are going crazy right now because Seattle's not handing out these huge contracts. And that's because the fan base seems to be of the opinion that we're close now. We can make the leap. We could be an elite like these, some of these other teams. And they just cannot understand why DePoto is not doing it. Well, I think, and I think what they're doing is fantastic. I, th- I think that what Atlanta Braves are doing right now is a model that every smart team will try to follow. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess I shouldn't say that you're not smart. If you, I don't mean to say that you're not smart if you don't do that or don't try to do that, but they have like eight of their core players locked up for the next five years or so. They've been extending all these guys early and they're going to, I think they're setting themselves up as essentially Dodgers East. I still think they're going to win the National League East again next year. And obviously, I think it's going to be extremely close as it was last year. But they're putting themselves in position to be in the postseason 
every year they've done it five straight years. It looks like they're going to do another five years, maybe not win the division every single year, but in the postseason, in the hunt, they won the world series a year ago. And I think that that model is something that I, it seems like if you don't have those core pieces, then you're going out and you're buying them on the open market. And then it's twice or three times more expensive. But if you have that ability to um, draft and develop talent, lock them up now while you can. And not every single player is going to agree to that. Boris does not do Scott Boris does not do extensions most of the time, but I think Seattle's they're, they're doing a pretty good job. They got Julio. They got, after they got Castillo, they locked him up. There are a couple other extensions that they've given out. I think that's a very, very smart blueprint. Yeah, and you and I have talked about this off the air kind of before we start recording that Atlanta seems to be the model that Seattle's following. And again, it should be <laughs> pointed out a billion times that Seattle's never been in this situation ever. So this is all <laughs> uncharted waters for any of us. But man, it is it is very odd to me. It's a really interesting sort of dissonance that Seattle has had two 90-plus win years. We just broke our playoff streak. We have one of the greatest young nucleuses in baseball. They're locking these people up left and right. And the Seattle fan base is basically having funeral dirges this offseason. Like it's the worst thing ever. Like they're so depressed about the state of the team. <laughs> it's it's so odd to see this because I've never seen this from my fan base before. But isn't that just the internet? Isn't that course, just people yeah. are negative on the internet? Like if you if you take a trip to Seattle and you go to a game and you talk to fans at T-Mobile and it's T-Mobile Park right now, right? That's what it's called. I believe so. I don't yeah, live used, there anymore, but I think so, yeah. Used to be Safeco. Yeah. Now it's T-Mobile. If you went to a game, if you're in the neighborhood, you're talking to people, you're talking to your buddies, that, I would guess, is not the prevailing notion. What do you think? I mean, we've got Julio Rodriguez. I don't know how anybody could not be excited about that. So yeah, I think if you were to go and sit with the average fans, they'd be quite excited by what happened last year and the year before, I should point out. This isn't new. So yeah, this is to me the most exciting time I've seen in Seattle, maybe in my lifetime as a, as a Mariners fan. I think I I think the average fan is pretty happy with what's going on. Jay, thoughts on what Seattle is doing? I think what Seattle's doing is very very good, um, because in a way they're trying to make up. You know, because Seattle has had one nucleus that you know you could you could argue was maybe a little more electric in their time. And that was, you know, in the mid nineties when they had, you know, Griffey and A-Rod and, you know, Jay Buhner and Brandy Johnson and, you know, a lot of those, those players, uh, but you know, they couldn't lock them up for long term, and, you know, they didn't have the money to kind of play with all of that. And you, you, there's, there's all that sort of stuff. And I think that, you know, I think that the, the way the Braves have, have handled their organization is a good blueprint. And I think that Seattle fans should just be nothing but excited for what the team's doing because for for the first time in a long time, Seattle seems dedicated to try to go deep in the playoffs, which I think mm -hmm. is something that, you know, I mean, it's always the dream, right? But it hasn't been realistic for a long time. And now I think it is. Yeah, it's like the first time we've been relevant to anything. Yeah. And I know that's an odd statement to say, but like, <laughs> we came close to beating Houston last year in the playoffs. And like we're that we came the closest of anybody. And even though we got swept, it really just came down to a bullpen day. I mean, that one, that one, what 18 inning game, like we were hanging with the Astros in 18 innings with their bullpen. So yeah. And it's, it's you a, led the Seattle led 
two games in Houston and lost both games. Yeah. So like I was excited about that series. So yeah, I'm I'm very happy to hear Jay. I'm I'm happy to hear any Dodgers fan or any baseball fan who's not from Seattle say I think what the Mariners are doing is very good and very smart because that's not a statement you would have ever heard. Like I'm just happy people <laughs> notice my team for the most part. It's it's so much different growing up a Mariners fan than a Dodgers fan where we're just we have no history and no relevance. So it's it's a new world for us. Mario, how have you enjoyed what they've done this offseason? Is there anything that you especially like or dislike? I mean, I like the Teoscar Hernandez trade just because that guy murdered us in the playoffs. He always kills us, so I'm happy to have him on board. Um, unfortunately, there hasn't been a whole lot of other activity for the Mariners this year. And I know I feel bad for me, but I feel especially bad for you as a newsmaker, Jack. Vita. <laughs> <laughs> You're just waiting for Jerry Depoto to make a huge, you know, Shohei Otani trade to give you something to talk about. And he has not helped you out. So it's been much quieter than I expected. But I I don't think that's from lack of trying. I think that's from just Depoto not wanting to spend stupid money, which I'm always happy about. Yeah, and they also got Colton Wong. Oh, yeah, yeah, Wong. They, yeah. they got rid of Winker. Yeah, I feel bad about Winker. Winker should have succeeded in Seattle, and I'm not entirely sure why he didn't. And when it went down, it went down fast. And I, I, I feel, I'll feel bad about that. I, I, I wish that would have worked out. Well, he went from, like Luis Castillo, it seems the Reds and the, the Mariners like to make trades with each other. Mm -hmm. They both went from the, some say that Cincinnati is the number one hitters park, even more than Coors Field, um, or at least equal to Coors Field. It's the number one hitters park to perhaps the number one pitchers park or the number two pitchers park. So he went from a very hitter friendly ballpark to a very pitcher friendly ballpark. And that's why I thought the Castillo trade was amazing for them because look at the numbers that guy was putting up in that ballpark. He's only going to get better when you move him to Seattle. So it could have been the reverse effect with Winker. Yeah, it could have been. And there was always rumors about Winker. You'd hear stuff like, uh, the, there was always unnamed sources in the paper saying, you know, Winker's just not strong. He doesn't have muscles. He doesn't put in the work. Everything he was hitting was going to the warning track. So I, I, I honestly don't know. It's just, it was very sad to me because I like his personality and he seemed to fit in well with the fans, but man, they turned on him pretty quick around midseason. And they also have changed the baseball. The baseball a few years ago was exploding off the bat mm. and now they've deadened it. And it requires more strength or more of like a like a, a, a big basher type body like a Kyle Schwarber who's still going to hit 40 home runs. But now those lean guys really aren't going to hit the same number of home runs. And I look at Cody Bellinger and I mean, I'm curious what Jay's thoughts are on Bellinger, but he was a guy who hit 40, 45 home runs really not that long ago. And now appears to have a big hole in his swing. And then Christian Yelich is similarly another guy who's a leaner guy who all of a sudden he started hitting a lot of home runs. And now his offensive performance has significantly dropped off. Oh, yeah. you want, do you want me to talk about yes. uh, Cody Bellinger? <laughs> yes, I would. Oh, uh, I'm sort of glad he's not on the Dodgers anymore. Um, he was very, yeah, I mean, he was very good and we liked Belly, but like la the last two years have been a struggle, right? And 
that's sort of what is confusing to me about you know, the Dodgers offseason, as as we talked about early early on, and I don't want to get into it so much. Well, I guess we can get into it now or, or later. Or yeah, let's want do to it. Get into it. But the Dodgers haven't made a whole ton of moves. And, and you know, they the Dodgers being the Dodgers, they're always going to be mentioned when these big free agents come, you know, like, and Trey Turner played for the Dodgers last year. So obviously they were going to offer him a contract of some sort. But it was sort of known within L.A. that, you know, he he probably wasn't going to sign with the Dodgers, right? So we sort of, you know, there's always an outside chance and everything like that. And hey, if we had won it or something like that, maybe he goes and re-signs. But he was, Trey Turner was always kind of alone, right, for, for a couple years. And that's what it was. But Bellinger was a player where he was a Dodger. He was on the Dodger teams. He was, you know, one of our L.A. guys, in there and you know MVP and he hit that big home run when they won the the World Series that year uh you know and and was a just just an absolute monster hitter and for the past 2 years he's hit like 200 and like no home runs and has been basically a liability in the lineup and i think that when you look at the la- last year the Dodgers won 111 games with Cody Bellinger hitting 200 you know, and then they brought in Joey Gallo, who also hit 200. So, like, <laughs> they they literally had a gigantic out machine in their lineup and still won all those games. And, you know, with Bellinger, I like him, and I and I hope he goes somewhere and rehabilitates his game, and, and, you know, I hope that he has a really good year with the Cubs. Like, I don't wish him ill, but I... The fact that I that I'm gonna tune into a Dodger game and not see Bellinger in the lineup and go, oh good, maybe someone who won't go zero for four with three Ks will be a good thing, right? And so uh, that that's sort of my opinion on Cody. Like, well, what do you think happened to him at the plate? Um, I think that there were some injury things. Like, I mean, it was very very uh, uh, documented the fact that you know he after he hit the big home run in the in the championship series. Uh, the year they won the World Series, he like did the 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 shoulder bump or whatever, and then he like, oh, yeah. dislocated his shoulder. And I think he had injuries for a bit, but I think he's always had that big looping swing. And I think that for a couple years he was just seeing the ball super well, right? Like he st- he didn't hit as well off of lefties that he did righties, but he hit the ball just he crushed it so much, and was just hitting doubles and home runs like like you wouldn't believe. And maybe it was the ball, maybe it was a lot of things, but. I think that his swing got out of whack due to some of his injuries. And I think that in trying to repair his swing, he's lost a bunch of confidence. And I think that his he's got swing issues. I think he has confidence issues. I think he has a lot of things that he needs to work out. Very interesting to see how he does. I was a little curious as to why he picked the Cubs. I mean, maybe it was the most money, but personally, I think if I were him... The Cubs have been circling, cycling through hitting coaches seems every single year or two years. If I were him, I would have loved to go to a place like Atlanta that just seems to be amazing with getting these guys to bounce back. And we've seen but, that a lot but, of times. But if, he goes to it, but if he goes to Atlanta, he's not going to get all like everyday playing. Yeah, he probably. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. you know, So I think he wants money, but he also wants to play. And so you kind of have to go to a Cubs or something. I thought White Sox would have been a better fit because at White Sox, that's a much more hitter friendly park. Like that is a big time hitters park. Um, and there's less attention. Like the Sox do not get the same kind of uh, eyeballs on them that the Cubs do. 
I mean, possibly did they offer him a contract? I yeah, we don't know. I thought I thought that move would make sense for both parties because the White Sox needed to up. They still need another outfielder. They need to upgrade their club defensively, and he would have done that. So I don't know. Jay, so Bellinger's gone. I think it's really interesting. What why I find the Dodgers offseason interesting, and you find it uninteresting is I think a lot of staples of this franchise for the past half decade or longer have been have been uh exiled. They're they're gone now. Justin Turner, he's gone. Kenley Jansen a year ago, gone. Corey Seeger, gone. Max Muncie, he's back, right? Max Muncie got extended. Yeah, he's there. Yeah. So Max Muncie's still around, but it feels like there are a lot of guys who are part of this core over the past several years that are no longer a part of the club. And it's, I think it's going to be interesting to see what this club looks like over the next few years. Cause they have not, uh, they have not hung on to everybody and Kershaw for whatever reason, just keeps signing these one year contracts. I'm, I'm a little curious as to why he hasn't tried to get something a little longer term. Uh, because I think Kershaw is taking it year by year now. Um, you know, he's got a World Series now, so so all of that is good. You know, the 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 rumor always with Kershaw, and it's it's been a prevailing rumor for years and years amongst Dodger faithful, is that he would, you know, play his last year or two of his career, you know, with the Texas Rangers or somebody yeah. down in Texas because that's where he's from. Yeah, and, Highland Park, Texas. You know, live and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, a lot of people are like, well, he's not going to go down to Texas because the Dodgers are a better chance to win a world series and that's what he needs and all that other sort of stuff. But he's got one now. And I think that he just does one year because I think that he, he is a loyal Dodger faithful kind of guy. And I think that, you know, as long as he feels like he's still got it, you know, and, and can contribute to a contender, I think he's always going to resign with the Dodgers, but it's always going to be a one year because, you know, at the end of the year, if he feels like, ah, maybe I'm, Maybe this is going to be my last year. Maybe this is it for me. He might just sign with the Rangers for one year and, you know, fade off into the sunset that way. So I, I think that, you know, that's that's Kershaw's thinking, yeah. or at least our prevailing thinking with that. It, losing Turner is tough, and, you know, but it's Turner is one where he, he was a good locker room guy and a good leader for the Dodgers, but, you know, his, his bat and, and whatnot is replaceable. Nothing that Turner yeah. did was otherworldly, right? And Kenley Jansen was one where he was so good for a long time, and then he kind of fell off a little bit. And yeah, the Dodgers had closer issues last year with Kimbrell and stuff like that. You might as well have had Jansen. But even during the World Series, there were games like Kenley Jansen didn't close out the final game when the Dodgers won the World Series. It was earnest yeah. out of the bullpen, right? Like, Kenley Jansen had, we had trust issues with him, especially at the end of his Dodger tenure. So it's hard for me to sit here and say, oh man, I wish we had Kenley Jansen back. Like, I guess in the face of Craig Kimbrell, yes. But we've got Blake Trinan. We've got some people on the team that can fill that closer role. Trinan was hurt last year. And so I think with the Dodgers, they didn't, they, they put some feelers out on some of the big names this offseason because of course they did. But I think the Dodgers are laying low a little bit because I think they're going to re-sign. You know, they've got Mookie Betts. They've got Freeman. Uh, they're going to lose Bauer's contract at the end of this year. But they've still got Chris Taylor. They still got... Um, yeah. They still have... They need to lock up Urias, I think, long-term. Yeah. Um, and I think the big name that people aren't talking about with the Dodgers is Walker Bueller. 
Oh yeah. Who is, I believe, their their main ace and their main focus, but he's he might be out for most of this coming year with with his second Tommy John. And he's got a contract renegotiation. I think the Dodgers are saving money to sign up Bueller, and I think that they're sort of like, well, if we don't have Bueller, you know, with this Dodgers lineup, I mean, the top of the lineup is still Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Max Muncie, Will Smith, you know, Chris Taylor, and then they're gonna have, you know, they've they've got some young people like uh like Outman and 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 uh Gavin Lux. Yep, and they've got Gavin Lux now to try to get some things going and uh they they've got some young people that I think they're going to take a look at this year and they may lay low and 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 try to trade for somebody who knows but I think the Dodgers still feel like they could win 86 games with this team. Oh yeah, and, easily. And I think they can, right? And I know that San Diego has made upgrades and the Giants are always lurking, but I think the Dodgers are going to take their chances this year with what they have and see what happens because, hey, they had a real loaded team last year and won 111 games and then got bounced. So maybe you do it the other way. So I think the Dodgers are are just sort of taking this year not as a write-off because they're still going to play well, but I think that they're, for lack of a better word, I think they're laying low this year. They're going to go under the luxury tax threshold, it looks gonna, like. They're going to lock up some of their people like Bueller, and I think, long-term in the next year or two. And then they're going to look for like their their right huge signing. They're going to make one of these huge signings in the yeah. next two or three years, whether it's Otani or, or whoever it is. But I just don't think that they really felt it this year. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I talked about with Ryan Packett last week is if you're one of these teams that wants to sign Otani, you're happy to see how much money is being spent by other teams. It's like when you're in an auction draft for fantasy whatever, fantasy baseball, fantasy football, you want to see people spend their money and then you're sitting back and you still have your money when your players that you want become available. Correct. So... It's it's to me it's an uninteresting offseason because the Dodgers didn't make any big splashes, right? But the counter to that is the Dodgers have made big sla- splashes for the last few seasons, yeah. right? And you know, again, it's the whole thing, right? Where the Dodgers won 111 games last year. That's that's a lot of games they won, and everyone looks at that season as an abject failure because they didn't, you know, go far into the playoffs, right? Which is insane to me in a lot of ways like yes you want to win the world series but that was a successful season they had last year and yet everyone has this bad taste in their mouth and it's like well maybe they're going to try something a little bit different i friedman is a very very good gm and i i don't think that i I, you know everyone's like oh the dodgers didn't make any big splash and it's like there's probably a reason for that and so i still like this team and i think that giving some of those young you know like when outman and some of these young players played last year they did nice things, but they were just buried because there was like, well, we got to get Bellinger in the lineup and we got to, you know, have Turner in the lineup and all of these sort of staples. And it's like, maybe the young people would produce more. I don't know. We don't know. Maybe we should give it a try. Well, that's another thing going back to Mario's point about teams being unhappy if, uh, or fans being unhappy if their team didn't go out for one of these big time free agents. And, with all due respect to the clubs that did make these big free agent signings, I'm looking at the teams that have money and have the ability to make those big splashes that are also the teams that I think are, have been the most successful in recent years, primarily 
the Astros, Dodgers, and Braves. And it says something to me that none of those teams were willing to jump in to the waters on any of those contracts. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, those are the successful teams. I don't think that gets mentioned often enough. I'm glad you brought that up. They're not the ones making these huge splashes. I mean, the Astros replaced Correa internally and they won more games and the World Series after he left. So, well, yeah, okay. This and this ties into something. And I remember I was just reading the uh, the Moneyball book, the the Billy Bean book recently, because you and I did a podcast on that. So I was catching up on that book. <laughs> yeah. And there's the whole thing in that book that very much rings true today that the difference between like the best player in baseball and someone who's kind of good at their position is not all that big a difference really. And you can, that's the whole point of Moneyball, the book, the aggregate, you can replace it with the aggregate yeah. without spending all the money. So like the, the difference between a $20 million guy and a $1 million guy. Yeah. The $20 million guy is probably better, but I don't know if he's 20 times more valuable than the $1 right. million guy. So yeah, there's a lot to be said for that. I agree. And also that's something that Ryan and I touched on last week is I personally think right now, given how dominant pitching has become, I don't think it's that hard to fill out the back end of a rotation. I think there's a bigger gap between those like legitimate aces, the Mm -hmm. the lights out dominant pitchers from like a one to a three than there is from a three to a five or a fringe starter. Yeah, and Seattle, I can speak personally to my own team. They have basically proven that over the last couple of years. They just grab these guys, the Chris Flexons, the guys like that, that they know will be a solid innings eater. They don't have to be great, but they get the job done. And like you said, Jerry DePoto has been doing that routinely for a couple of years now, just fills out the back of the rotation. He grabs some guy off the, they call it on the Seattle blogs, the scrap heap, the heap of relievers. <laughs> At the start of every year, there's a pile yeah. of relievers. And it's which one DePoto and his pitching staff are going to turn into some ace reliever by the end of the year. That's just what they do. So yeah, there's the pitching. The pitching seems to be where it, where it's at. You can get the one, two, three, one through three aces. Those don't grow on trees, but the guys under that are fairly easily found on trees hate to compare people to pieces of fruit but yeah like you said it's 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 fairly accurate to how it works right now yeah and i think in addition to all of that with the reliever stuff it's it's also interesting that the new york mets decided to sign edwin diaz to a 100 million dollar <laughs> contract for a reliever <laughs> yeah i mean he has the great entrance it's worth what it like 95 million <laughs> Which is an entrance he was doing in Seattle, too, if I recall. We just traded him. So <laughs> I think he started that in Seattle, if I recall. But yeah, it's, I think he did. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's baffling to me, signing a reliever to that kind of a deal. But again, I, I, have, I have Jerry DePoto as my, as my uh, template, who would never do that in a million years. So it, it's odd to me that, that that was a signing, but we'll see how it goes. We'll see what Diaz, relievers are very funny because... Very few relievers are so unbelievably consistent for a very long time, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's, you know, everyone's always like, oh, I can't believe that Mariano Rivera was like one of the first, like, was he was the first unanimous Hall of Fame voter Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But to me, it's like, that's so earned because he was not only probably the best reliever that's ever been, he was so consistent for so long, right? And even he blew big games every once in a while. And they rode him so hard, too. They relied on him more than, like, any reliever had been 
trusted in the, those situations. And the thing with Diaz is that his career is is just sort of gotten going, right? And yeah, last year I think he struck out like more than half the people he faced, you know. And I mean, he has been he was utterly dominant, and this year, and I expect that for a while. But at some point, he's gonna get battered. He's gonna blow some real huge games, and he's gonna get hit real hard. And the question is, is he going to bounce back from that? And he already did that too. He did that a couple years ago. So it's like, so it's like, is he going to, is he going to bounce back even further? And I don't know. And, and I'm not saying that he can, or he can't like, I hope he does. I hope he's, I hope he fills that hundred million dollar contract super well. Right. But with a reliever, that's such a gamble. And there's like no precedent to this. That's the thing. No. Like you, you look at these great relievers over history, Goose Gossage, like he wasn't great every year. You look yep. at his stats, they were never as good as like Diaz. Like I think like back to the nineties, the nasty boys, Dibble, Charlton and Randy Myers. Sure. They weren't that good for that long. <laughs> Absolutely. And the best closer in the American league, in my opinion, at least last year was Emmanuel class a, his contract is five years, $20 million. Mm-hmm. So He's making $4 million annually, and that goes to your point. Is Edwin Diaz five five times better than Class A is? I don't think so. I think those guys are really close together. What was that yeah. 7 eight, 9 for the Mariners a long time ago? It was like uh, it was like Nelson Rhodes and then Sasaki? Oh, back in yeah, 2001. Yeah, it is funny you bring up a team that wins 111 games and doesn't win the World Series and is seen as a failure since the 2001 Mariners. <laughs> to remind people, won 116 games, didn't win the World Series, and are considered a failure. But yeah, our <laughs> bullpen, we had Sasaki, Rhodes, and Jeff Nelson. They were oh, That 789 was so good. Yeah, and that's the thing. They were. It was only like one or two years of that. So that doesn't last. Relievers don't last like that. Yeah, and even the guys, if you look at who have been the best relievers of the past decade, you would say Kenley Jansen, Rollis Chapman, and Craig Kimbrell in terms of like a big like 10-year stretch of being good. Mm-hmm. All three of those guys have been highly volatile up and down at yep. different points. Kimbrell yeah. just got hit. He just got a contract. Be interesting to see how he does. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get no, out of here. <laughs> I'm rooting for Edwin Diaz. I love that guy. Again, he started yeah. in Seattle. We are still very fond of him in Seattle. We all loved him. And he went through such hell in New York. They hated him so much that first year or two. So I really hope that contract pays off. But yeah, we're not <laughs> we're not stating anything other than the obvious by pointing out there's never been a contract like that for a closer before. So it'll be interesting to see how it works out. Jay, what are your thoughts on what Steve Cohen has done and is doing with the New York Mets. Well, <laughs> hunker down. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I don't have a whole ton of thoughts, but it, you know, it was a long time ago where somebody was arguing, we, we were having an argument and the argument was just over sports contracts in general. And we don't even need to talk about this year's MLB off season. Right. But it's, it's just the fact that somebody playing a sport is getting, tens of millions of dollars a year to play a sport, right? And, you know, then people bring up the whole thing of like, this guy's playing a ball game and he's getting $10 million a year. And, you know, there are teachers and nurses and firefighters who are getting paid the league minimum. And it's like, because the sport generates so much money, right? And the teams generate so much money. And so my whole thing is, if you don't want these people to make this much money, then you just need to not consume the product. You need to not watch it. You need to not, 
you know, all these sort of things. But that's not going to happen. Sports is what it is, right? And so if you accept that, at that point, I feel like if you're looking at the pie that makes up the revenue of a team, I feel like the players should get a very good part of that pie because they're the people that we are consuming. They're the, they're the, the people that we are watching, the people that we are following, the people that we look at the injury wires for and all of that other sort of stuff. So to me, if the Mets are generating a profit from their $500 million team, <laughs> then yeah. spend it, right? Like I don't, you, it, yeah. you feel bad in some ways because you know the Baltimore Orioles can't spend that money uh, that the Mets do because the Mets probably break, make more money than the, than the Orioles do. But like, if if you're not going to have some sort of like, you know, bargaining agreement where, you know, you have a salary cap and all that other sort of stuff, you just got luxury tax stuff, then, then spend what you can spend to make your team, I suppose. And he can do that. And also, I... Also, I can say that I don't know if all these contracts are going to be money well spent. I no, think- and, a, and a lot of them maybe again, it goes back to that point of these, a lot of these contracts might be just abjectly terrible yeah. in the long run. And so this may be a big crash and burn scenario. And I think the Mets, even more than the Padres and some other teams that are doing this sort of thing, like the Mets being in New York and being the Mets, like if they don't win a World Series in the next three to five years, it might be very ugly for them. Yeah there and and but that's the risk you run right and so that's that's the whole thing it's 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 icarus with its wings are you're going up to that sun are you gonna melt you're gonna crash or are you gonna fly <laughs> oh the jay can bring up icarus on a baseball podcast hey <laughs> that's impressive we're gonna bring some culture into this i don't know what icarus is but we'll go with it greek Learn mythology greek mythology <laughs> jay. i was oh. a terrible student yeah we would not let you get away with this on historians yeah, it's my podcast, so. <laughs> yeah, we're going to edit all this out. All this will be cut, so. I am we're holding lost. my tongue of insults. <laughs> <laughs> Mario, you got any thoughts on this topic? Uh, I mean, you have a rich owner of a rich team. I think it's really cool that he spends the money. As a fan, it's not my money, so I don't care. Right. So, yeah. like, just from an entertainment perspective, I love that someone just throws money at everything. <laughs> I'm not necessarily sure I want my team to do that. But again, I'm from, I come from the Seattle school of the, where our team has never been relevant to anything ever. And we're not going to do this and we're not going to outbid people for free agents. So, like, none of this replies to Seattle in the slightest. So, I'm just <laughs> excited to watch it happen to somebody else. It's very much feels like George Steinbrenner with the Yankees. I yeah. mean, this was in the I watched that Jeter docu series, uh, most of it, and oh, last summer. And one of the things they talked about was after they lost to the Red Sox in 04, Steinbrenner comes in and says to Cashman, like, we tried doing things your way where they, you know, which was really a great way of doing things because they established a great core and won four championships. Uh, in the late 90s to the early 2000s. But then Steinbrenner says, we did it your way. Now we're going to do it my way. We can't lose the Red Sox. I'm going to go out there and I'm just going to buy every player that I want. <laughs> and they won one championship. They've won one championship since taking that approach. So it's not necessarily like this is where fans annoy me because it's like, yeah, well, I, I value wins more than I value bottom line. And I'm like, well, what are you saying? You want teams to just 
if you inherently, if you spend money, then you are going to naturally win games. It doesn't mean that you have to spend the money well. <laughs> so, so there was someone actually looked at the late '90s Yankees and said this was a failure. This did not work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just shocked by that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't need to do it that way. Let's find some other way other than these four consecutive championships. There's got to be a better way. The despair <laughs> that happens with with certain franchises and certain fan bases just absolutely blow my mind in some ways. And the Dodgers franchise, like, here's the thing with the Dodgers. They are, they are highly relevant and they, uh, you know, they, they've got such a storied history and they've got such a goodwill with the people of Los Angeles, but I don't think people understand Los Angeles fans very much. You know, I think they get a bad rap in a lot of ways because people are like, oh, you know, these fans, they'll come in the third inning and they'll leave in the seventh and, you know, oh, they're not diehard, blah, blah, blah. And I'm sitting there going like, yeah, but it's LA, right? Yeah. <laughs> Los Angeles is a very big city in a very warm climate with with a beach minutes away and stuff like that. Like, you have options, Right. And, and not to disparage the nice people of Buffalo, New York, but like when, right. when, when, you know, they, they are, you know, people are always like the Buffalo Bills fans are like the most diehard fans of all fans. And it's like, yeah, because that's it. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like Buffalo is a cool city. There's a lot of cool things to do in Buffalo. There are less things to do in Buffalo than there are in Los Angeles. That is an objective sort of fact. And the weather's better in Los Angeles. And so, you know, y you compete with so many other things and people are very passionate about the Dodgers throughout Los Angeles uh, as it is, you know, and, and it, it, it manifests in so many ways, but I think that the Los Angeles fans, they're pretty patient with a lot of things like, yeah, there's impatience and, you know, Dodger fans wish that they had won more world series than the one in the past like decade or so. I mean, it's not like we're like, Oh, that's okay. You didn't win or anything sort of like that. But the immense pressure that like the New York Yankees fans have, or the Red Sox fans or some of these other markets is just absolutely incredible because to Mario's point, the Yankees were so dominant in the late nineties. Right. And then they lose to the Red Sox in 04 and Steinbrenner's just like off the, off the wall. It's like, <laughs> dude, three years ago, homie, like three years ago, you were all right. You know, I should point out that in 1990, Seattle had a parade because we finished over 500. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can I bring something up? Cause I'm very curious about this. I want to talk to Jay about this. Oh, please do. Yeah, so I mentioned this earlier. Jay is from Los Angeles. Now he lives in Michigan. I'm from Seattle. Now I live in Los Angeles. So I'm kind of new to this region. Uh, first off, Dodgers fans. I got to know about Dodgers fans because these are my observations living in Southern California is that mm. Dodgers fans love baseball. They're really into the team. They're very smart they don't really have the sense of rage that you'd see in like Yankees fans or Mets fans when the team doesn't do well. Correct. I've never really seen angry Dodgers fans. They love the Dodgers. And I swear to God, I would not walk into that stadium wearing any other team's hat. Cause I'm going to get beat up. <laughs> like it's a little hardcore for me. I'm more of an angels guy, but I'm not from this area. But am I, is that, is my opinion correct that there's not really rage among Dodgers fans? No, it's, I mean, there, there are some, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's not that it's, not completely there, but again, you're in Los Angeles. It's a pretty happy place. The weather's mm -hmm. good. You can go to the beach. You have so many other things to happen. And so part of that is not only is there natural competition with other things that you have, but 
you know, you can you can forget about the Dodgers for a while. The Dodgers didn't do well. They had a bad game. They blew a game. They got bounced in the playoffs. Yeah, it sucks and it hurts. But then you just wake up and go to the beach the next day. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that, that sounds very trite and, and sort of superficial, but that's the reality, right? And mm-hmm. so, and, and the thing is, is that the Dodgers, they chose to come to Los Angeles. They left Brooklyn. They came to Los Angeles. They have just a wonderful stadium out there. And... They, they're part of the Los Angeles culture, and they're not going anywhere. And I think that the people just identify with that and accept it. And the Dodgers, you know, they've had some lean years, but the Dodgers are always like, we are going to put out a quality product. And I think mm-hmm. that really, for LA, that's what you want. And that's what fans want. Yeah, I was going to say there's almost no franchise I respect more than the Dodgers. And, like, I come from – my wife is from San Jose – her in-laws, her parents are huge Giants fans. So Ooh. I'm in a giant. I know. Okay. <laughs> I'm in a Giants family. Jack, this will feel very, very odd to you because this is a West Coast, West Coast inside baseball here. So I'm a whole, entire family of Giants fans. I'm surrounded by Giants fans. They hate the Dodgers. I ask why. They're like, well, we just hate them. Like there's no tangible reason. It's just that the Giants and Dodgers are rivals. But like, I think even they begrudgingly respect the Dodgers because the Dodgers are very professional. The fans aren't angry, rage-filled monsters like Yankees fans. And I think for the most part, it probably goes the other way too, that even though Jay would never publicly say he likes the Giants, you probably have a respect for that team and their organization for the same reason. They have won a World Series now, so... It was yeah. more fun. It was more fun when they didn't. But exactly, yeah, yeah. West Coast rivalries, Jack, are a whole different thing. And I've again, I'm fairly new. I've only been in California for 20 years. Oh, I just wish Korea had ended up on the Giants. That would have been perfect. <laughs> that would have been so good. That would have been perfect. Yeah. Here's my impression: the Dodgers are for hardcore baseball fans. The Angels are for like moms and minivans that want to take their kids out for a fun event. They're not hardcore at all. I've never met a hardcore Angels fan. But I love, I, lo- I love going to Angel Stadium because it's so chill and laid back. So that's my impression of living in L.A. Angels have like a top 10 in terms of like good looking fan base. If you go to yeah. a game, it's unbelievable. And like it's like every time when Otani pitches, especially they're Asian, the Japanese population in the stadium is like I didn't know they had this many Japanese people in, in Southern California. Like they're all at the stadium. It's so it's so different than going to most other stadiums. It's really interesting. I just wanted to have. I just wanted to hear Jay say something nice about the Giants. That's all. What <laughs> I mean, you're not really going to get that, but um, <laughs> but you don't hate them. That's the thing. But I do. <laughs> all right, let me let me rephrase this. But they're not a threat to you. So you don't no. you make fun of them, but they're not a threat to you whatsoever. No, that okay. that is true. There you go. I, I, would I mean get that as well. And and to me, you know, the, the fun part of like the West Coast rival, and I mean, I know that the the Padres are, you know, sort of the, the the big bad looming, right? But the thing about it is, is I went to Michigan State University, and it, Michigan State University's main rival is the University of Michigan, right? But the University of Michigan's main rival is Ohio State, <laughs> and Ohio State's main rival is Michigan, right? And so it's yeah. one of those things where like Michigan hates Ohio State, Ohio yeah. State hates Michigan, we hate Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> and you know the, the 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 very famously a bunch of years ago mike hart uh the old running back for michigan you know they beat up on michigan state for the umpteenth year and he basically called us said you know we had a lead and we blew it and he was like hey, you know it's like when you're playing with your little brother and you know you, you let them get a lead and then you come back and beat them and so michigan state became known as this little brother thing and then 
we had a we had this string in the in the twenty teens where we were a very dominant football team and we're beating the pants off Michigan and it was like yeah little brothers revenge kind of thing but that's the rivalry <laughs> aspect in that's the rivalry aspect in California is that the Dodgers hate the Giants the Giants hate the Dodgers the Padres hate the Dodgers <laughs> <laughs> but nobody hates the Padres hi San Diego how are you <laughs> how's your fish tacos are they good. <laughs> You stay classy, San Diego. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, Seattle has the same relationship in the 90s with the Yankees, how we hated them with a passion. And I'm not sure they were aware we existed. And it's the same with Houston now. We hate Houston. And I'm not sure they're even aware Seattle has a team most of the time. Well, see, I think everyone's got some of that. Like the Cubs and Cardinals, that's a huge rivalry. And yep. then the Brewers, they hate the Cubs. And like the Reds hate the Cardinals. And again, it's the same thing. It's just like, oh. <laughs> Hi there. <laughs> I know a few years ago, uh, Major League Baseball tried to create nat- natural regional rivals. Like every team would have a regional rival and they tried to put them against each other. Somehow they determined that Seattle's regional rival was San Diego Padres. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how they came to that conclusion. I that ain't a of- thing, bro. <laughs> I know. I'm, to this day, people, Seattle fans still make fun of that on the message. Was that board. for interleague? It was something like that. Yeah, there yeah, are probably interleague. Yeah, there are natural rival. So basically, neither team had anyone to play, and they just said, "We're going to set you guys up, and you guys are going to hate each other." How's that yeah. sound? I remember all those Ken Griffey, Tony Gwynn blood feuds from the nineties. <laughs> they were terrible. It was a. I'm surprised. I'm surprised we survived. <laughs> I mean, Cubs and Sox. It's a. It's a similar thing. It, it's the same city, different parts of the city, and people hate each other. It, the teams hate or the teams don't hate each other. The fans don't like that's each other. That's different though. I think it's that's, weird though. It, it's, it's the most weird. unique one. The Cubs and the White Sox. Like Chicago is like bitterly divided on that fact. Whereas yeah. like, Yankees and Mets fans, even with the volatileness of those fan bases, they aren't as vicious toward each other mm-hmm. as Cubs and White Sox fans are. And I mean, Dodgers and Angels fans are basically like, oh, you have an Angels cap on. <laughs> cool you know and there's no issue there whatsoever but you go to chicago like you have to pick a side it's so weird to me because why on earth do you have to hate a team in your own city that that is in the other you know that is in the the other league right like yeah national league and american league it's not even like they're in the same you know conference or something like that right yeah yeah let's get into this jack what's up with chicago why is your city so self-loathing that's a good question. Can you you want to expand on that a little bit? Inferiority <laughs> complex for yeah, you're, sure, right? Yeah, you're the one from Chicago. You expand on this. I don't know Chicago. So, but what do you mean by self-loathing? Well, you have to hate the Cubs if you're a White Sox fan. You have to hate the White Sox if you're a Cubs fan. Like like Jay said, the Angels and Dodgers exist perfectly co- uh, perfectly peacefully, even though the Angels have stolen their city. Now they're the Los Angeles Angels. No yeah. one cares. I think that it's really like the South side and North side. Jay, you've spent some time here in Chicago. Probably I would imagine. Yep. In Grand Rapids, very, very different worlds. Uh, You know, I'm up in the Northern suburbs. It's a really nice area for the long, for the longest time. The South side's been a rougher part of town. There's a lot of crime and the fan bases. I, in Obama said this one time he was, when he was doing, he was in the booth at a white Sox game. And he said like the white Sox have a more blue collar fan base. The Cubs have a more white collar fan base. People come to the Wrigley for Wrigley. Not everyone, even though, and here's the thing, the Cubs have one of the biggest fan bases in, 
sports. They have an amazing, loyal, great fan base. But also Wrigley sells itself. So a lot of people come out to games who aren't even Cubs fans and they just want to be able to drink wine. I think that's what Obama said. He was like, people want to be able to sip their wine and, you know, have a good time at a baseball game. They don't care as much about the game as the people on the South Side who are more uh, like you have a lot of South Side Irish guys and um, other other groups represented down there that are much more hardcore. That's the sentiment that the South side feels towards the North side. Um, Another thing to bring up ESPN did a thing. And this was like years ago, like over a decade ago where they did some sort of poll and they had these results and they basically just pulled fan bases of cities and teams and asked them questions. And it was one of those like questions where it was like, you know, on a scale of one to five or strongly agree, sort of agree, neutral, you know, all those dumb uh, sort of, personality quizzes that we hate all so much (laughs) but they asked a bunch of questions like you know does your team does your team being like a a playoff contender matter to you strongly agree strongly disagree all these sorts of things and what they found with especially chicago teams and especially chicago cubs fans was that consumption of alcohol at a sporting event was very important to them (laughs) <laughs> yes. And so what what you come from this is that Chicago, both Cubs and White Sox, like Chicago people go to games and drink heavily. Like it is a thing that that happens a lot, right? Yeah. And I, I'll never forget I was going back to my cousin's house um and we were my wife and I we were we were on the red line and we were going past Addison, right? And the Cubs game had just sort of ended, right? And there was a guy who got on the train and he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. And I mean, he sort of looked like Fred Lillard, but he wasn't, right? But he kind of had that vibe. And he just was sitting down. And I mean, he had the biggest grin on his face. You could tell that he was three <laughs> sheets to the wind. He was probably seven sheets to the wind by then. He was so drunk, right? And we and he was like sitting there and someone was just like, what's up, bud? And he was like, went to the Cubs game. <laughs> and we were like, did they win? He was like, yeah, Cubs won. <laughs> and then you know everyone was there and i i just asked a question i was like who pitched right and he says cubs pitched <laughs> and that ladies and gentlemen is my impression of chicago cubs fans <laughs> well that's the other that's the other thing is like people can take the red line all the way to go to a Sox game i personally wouldn't i don't think it's safe i mean chicago does a lot of crime i would not take you know, public transportation through certain parts of town and you're taking it all the way through from the north side to the south side if you're coming from the north side. Um, most people, I think, drive to White Sox games. They got gigantic parking lots, yep. lots of parking lots. Wrigley does not have a lot of parking, nope. but they do have an L station that is a block away from the field. So if you want to drink, you do not have to drive home. You can just hop on the train. So uh, that lends itself to even more drinking. You aren't you aren't wrong. I mean, that red line is right there. You go right yeah. past the stadium. Yeah. So does that answer your question for you, Mario? Yeah, no, I just wish I knew more about Chicago geography since this is all. <laughs> you might as well talking, be talking about Icarus around me. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> Shout out to Chicagoans. I love you very much. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so 
All right. I want to get into a couple other things here. So the New York uh, Mets, one last thing, really the big news right now is this Carlos Correa, uh, the latest on this thing. And we won't go too deep into it. We'll just make mention of it. But Correa, his deal with the Giants fell apart because they did not like his physical. Too bad. So sad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you wanted him on the Giants. It would have been great. As long as he's not on the Dodgers, we're good. <laughs> yeah, that was actually funny because yesterday, look, people are always trying to find a way to get clicks. I'm in this business, right? And this is what a lot of people do. And I try to remain pretty ethical. Some people are a little more like, oh, this could happen. So I was watching MLB Network and they said yesterday, if this G- if this Mets deal fell apart, here are some places where Correa, I could see him play. And someone said the Dodgers on there. And I'm just like, get out of town. Like, this is not a real show right now. <laughs> I will say all my in-laws that are Giants fans are so happy that deal fell through because they did not want him on the Giants for 10 years. So that should help. Yeah. I mean, I personally, I said it last week, I think that contract if he ends up with the 12 years 315 million from the Mets to play third base when part of his value is that he's really good defensively as a shortstop I think that's going to be a really terrible contract and now the Mets are looking at his physicals and there are concerns there so this deal has not been finalized but one of the things that Ken Rosenthal from the Athletic reported on is that the Mets may not be able to restructure this contract or have an out because Steve Cohen has gone on record talking about this contract before it was finalized, and you can't do that. Are you saying that Steve Cohen made a mistake? (laughs) How dare you, Jack? What? (laughs) And you say you're the ethical one. (laughs) These were Ken Rosenthal's words, not mine. Oh, sure. I mean, now you're throwing Rosenthal under the bus. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Ethical Jack throwing Rosenthal under the bus. <laughs> so I, I just want, I want Correa to go back to the Astros. 20 year deal, sign him for all the money, Astros. That would be best for everybody. <laughs> I think this thing's still going to happen. I mean, maybe it's restructured. Personally, I just I don't. And then there was another report the other day that three mystery teams have reached out to Correa's camp. That sounds exactly like an agent leak kind of. I'm going to put pressure on. Oh, well, we've got these three other spots. If you don't give us this money that we agreed to, that's that's what I read that as. I think this thing's going to happen. It's going to happen. He's going to be on the Mets and maybe he plays and maybe he doesn't. And maybe his body falls apart and maybe it doesn't. But, you know, with a lot of other teams, they would be so hamstrung by this contract that it would screw them up. But with the Mets, it's just like, oh, well, just throw it on the pile, I suppose. (laughs) As an outsider, it's going to be exciting either way. Right. Yeah. And it gives me stuff to write and talk about for sure. The other move that uh, really I thought was interesting that was made over this past week was the Texas Rangers agreed to a two-year, I think it was $33 million, 34 something like that, um, with Nathan Eovaldi. And Eovaldi has pitched, I mean, in 2021, he finished fourth in American League Cy Young voting. Personally, I don't think this kind of method of how the Rangers are assembling this group 
is going to be something where they're going to surpass Seattle or they're going to surpass Houston. It's not how I would build a team. But this deal, I think, is actually a really good deal. It's low risk, and it's a pitcher who, if he stays healthy, could be a difference maker. Yeah, it's the kind of deal, as a Seattle fan, I don't like seeing. <laughs> I don't like the Rangers doing smart things. It bothers me. <laughs> well, Yovaldi is is criminally underrated everywhere mm-hmm. he goes. I think Yovaldi is a great player, but be honest, they got Yovaldi because uh, you know they needed a good pitcher for when Degrom gets hurt. <laughs> <laughs> what? How dare you? There's no way. <laughs> but yeah, no, seriously, that's kind of the mood in Seattle that the Astros are still number one, we're number two, and we're closing the gap. And I don't like that the Rangers are doing competent things and spending all this money and buying all these people. It, it makes me nervous. Let's just say that. I mean, are do you think that these, like, they've made a lot of moves. They brought in DeGrom. They brought in Haney. They brought in Odorizzi. They brought in, there was another pitcher that they signed. Uh, who? Oh, no, but they have John Gray. They signed him a year ago. Martin Perez. Is there another one? No, that's that's it. They're, and then, that's a solid, that's a solid rotation. It is. Mm-hmm. And they were last year a club that was like 22nd in ERA as a team. And they're coming in, going into last year, they went out, they got Semyon, they got uh, Seager, and they, yeah, they've they've been spending money. They feel pretty good. And then the other thing that's interesting is they're going to have, in a couple years, they're hoping that Jack Leiter and Kumar Rocker can come up, and that's Mm -hmm. what your rotation is going to look like. So, do you guys think that they're doing something good here? Is this something where you think they're going to remain stagnant? Could this be a Miami Marlins of 2012 type of thing? Or is this something where this is a team that actually is on the rise? I don't think they're on a rise consistently, but they're making big flashy moves. And like you said, the like the Marlins, they have enough talent that it could all peak at the same time and make them a super team. I don't necessarily think they're doing it really the smart way. Like that DeGrom contract is insane to me. Yeah. (laughs) That's ridiculous. But again, as a Seattle fan, you're used to competing against like the angels who are whatever. They're not good. And you're used to competing against the A's who will, anytime they have a good player, they're going to sell him for a handful of magic beans down at the market (laughs) a couple weeks later. So like I'm used to our opponents being consistent. The Rangers are not consistent, which is that makes them a little scary. That's the thing. I'm not. I'm not necessarily sure it's a smart, long-term, sustainable, you know, strategy to make that team great. But it is new for them, and it's flashy, and that that makes me nervous. Jay, what do you think? Uh, you know, it's it's all just going to depend on things. Um, but the, you know, I I think Heaney was was very good for the Dodgers last year. I think the Dodgers. The Dodgers really lucked out on their rotation last year in a lot of ways because because a lot of their stalwarts got hurt in some ways. Like Kershaw is always going to be out for a couple months, and you know Dustin May you know was coming back from things, and then Walker Buehler went down and all that sort of stuff. But you know Heaney and Tyler Anderson were super good, and so I think that's a really smart pickup by the Rangers. And I I do like Corey Seager. He dropped off a tiny bit last year with the Rangers, but I don't see that he's you know going to super decline. But I think it's like Mario said, I think that they've done enough to put themselves in sort of the conversation and in the mix. And if they could sneak into the playoffs, do they have a rotation that could carry them through? They could, but then the bats have to be right. You know, and and it's like anything, right? Where, where they're just going to have to peak at the right time. But I, when you look at that lineup, 
or you look at that roster as compared to other rosters, I don't see why that roster would jump out at you more than other ones would. Mm-hmm. And I think this Evaldi move really completes the rotation. Like I was looking at um a few weeks ago, and I I was thinking, can can Haney do what he did last year? And can you know? There's some questions. Martin Perez, he's coming off a career year, but now you add Evaldi to that mix, and there's less asked of everybody else because I think Ivaldi is going to if he's healthy he's he's going to be a very very good pitcher for that team and he, he slots in well behind DeGrom as their second best pitcher on that team it's going to depend on a lot of things I mean the Dodger Dodger Stadium is a very good place to, to pitch and Heaney didn't have a ton of pressure on him last year because they've Dodgers have you know Urias and they have Kershaw and you know when he was healthy there they had Bueller like they didn't, you know, they they put him sort of in the back end of the rotation and just said, "Hey, give us quality, quality innings in this pitcher friendly park." And he did, right? And I'm not saying that that can't happen at Texas, but you know, Degrom's there to be your ace, and you've got Uvaldi, right? So again, he's going to be more middle to back end sort of things. But that lineup, that rotation, you know, if if people start getting hurt and things start going down, then pressure is going to be very applied yes. on other things, mm-hmm. and it's it's going to be a lot different. And yeah, there's a lot of volatility with this team. I think their their thought also is they're they're probably thinking, hey, you know what, we 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 might not leap past these other teams, but we we're not going to have to in order to get back to the playoffs because right. now this new we have this extra team, and I do think that adding this extra team accomplished in a lot of ways what the players especially were hoping to do, which would mean more players getting paid because more teams are incentivized to say, okay, you know what? Before we're looking at, okay, we, we're not going to win a hundred games. So therefore we need to build up a roster that can get to a hundred games. And that's going to take longer because we're going to do that through draft and developing players. Now it says, Hey, you know what? 86 wins, 87 wins. That's all we really need. So if we can get to that number, here's how we can do it. And then if you get into the dance, you can do what Philly did, get on a nice little run and get to the World Series. It's it's really becoming a bigger crapshoot come playoff time when you throw more teams into the mix. Yeah. And if I was a Rangers fan, I'd be very excited about this season. There's, yes. It would, it would be very uh, – there's a lot of volatility in that team, and volatility can be fun. <laughs> What do you guys think? Uh, I'll start with you, Jay. Best acquisition of the winner or a couple of them. Were there a couple moves that you said, wow, I really like the bang for the buck on that move? Oh, God, come back to me. I need to look at all the moves again. Okay. (laughs) Mario, do you have any thoughts on it? I'll answer for Jay. Jay's answer is the Giants not getting Aaron Judge after repeatedly trying. (laughs) well, I am historically bad for questions like this because I don't really pay attention to most teams other than Seattle. Uh, I'm trying to think uh, which acquisitions were especially good or bad. Give me some names of people. Well, I'll signed. give you a few. I'll give you a few. So, because I've had time to think about it, obviously. Uh, number one, I think the Ciavaldi one is a mm-hmm. really good one. I like short-term contracts um, because. Like, like I think Joey Gallo on a one-year, eleven million dollar contract in Minnesota, less pressure. Now you get rid of the shift when he hit into the shift a lot. I think that's a great signing. I think it is. Yeah, no, it, I agree. Yeah, it's like if you if you flop on a if you miss on a one-year contract, it's not a big deal. It might hurt you in that one season, but it's not going to hurt you beyond that point. Whereas a lot of these long-term deals are deals that I don't like unless 
you're extending a guy like Julio and you've got him now for 13 years or whatever you have him for. So that would be one. Another one would be, I think, the Josh Bell to the Guardians, two-year, $33 million. Uh, He's going to slot in as an all-star first baseman and another power bat that team needed one more power bat, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, They also picked up a former Mariner and Mike Zunino on a one-year, $6 million contract. They're hoping he can give them 30 home runs. So I like some of those kind of smaller scale moves, I think, could be. I actually, I think the Tyler Anderson one with the Angels, uh, Jay might have some thoughts on him, but I thought that was another one. Three years, $39 million for a guy who. That's super cheap. It's mm-hmm. great. He was a top five to 10 National League pitcher last year. And if he can stay on that, that's an incredible signing for that. The Dodgers player. are really tough with rotations because, you know, we've got Urias, Kershaw, Gonsolin, May. Um, you know, Bueller when he comes back. So, you know, we had Anderson and we had Heaney. We, we had extra people because people go down and get hurt. But, you know, he was one where I was like, maybe the Dodgers re-sign him and that would be really good. But he went somewhere else and I'm just happy for him because he, he played really well last year mm-hmm. and everything like that. I guess I, uh, looking at some of these signings again, because, you know, the problem is, is that not that I wasn't prepared, but I, I was I was thinking about like the DeGrom deal and the right. Bogarts deal and the Trey Turner deal and all that sort of stuff. Um, deals that I liked. I mean, I do like the Uvalde deal that just happened. Um, I think, uh, I think the Dodgers getting Syndergaard for one year is, is fine. You know, like you said, with these flyers, I think that's good. If you're talking about something a little bit more substantial, um, I actually don't mind to tell you the truth. I actually don't mind the Taiwan Walker deal. Mm. Why is that? Four years, 18 million a year. Like that's not bad. No. You know, because it's 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 not it's not the longest term. Like I, I I sort of look at like three to five year deals is not too bad, right? Like maybe maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't work out. But like for the stats he put up and for the for the for the rate that people are going these days, like eighteen million for a for a really good pitcher is not that bad. Yeah, Brian Kenny had in his book the idea was you don't go beyond five years on a yep. free agent signing, and I think if you look at that historically. That's a pretty good rule of thumb. Yep. Like he could have maybe mm-hmm. gotten more and, and gotten more years and it you know, then we then we're getting into ridiculous territory. But four years for seventy two million, that's not terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as things goes. I, I think that's a that's a decent deal. Well the Verlander one could be a really good one yes. too. And I was gonna mention the Ver, the Verlander one. Like, yeah, it's a lot of money, but I, Verlander is I mean I'm in Michigan. I, I watched Verlander pitch with the Tigers for a lot of years, and I'm a big Verlander fan. And I think that he's got, you know, even even if he falls off slightly, he's still going to be very, very good. So I think that's a good pickup for the Mets. I also like uh, former giant Carlos Rodon with the Yankees, six years, 120. Uh, it's not back-breaking. The Yankees have that kind of money, and I think with Rodon, if he can be what he was the last two years, I think the Yankees now have an elite rotation in the American league by adding him to that mix. And then the other one that comes to mind is the richest contract ever signed in Chicago White Sox history. Now, Andrew Benintendi five years, $75 million. Yikes. Not that much. (laughs) I mean, not that much. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All things considered, that's a deal. That's I think that is a good deal. Yeah. And it, I think he's what they need. I think they need a guy at the top of their lineup who gets on base. And they really, I said this earlier, they really need to get better defensively, especially in the outfield. He does that. 
I think if I was running the White Sox, that would not be my only move. I think they should make – I think the White Sox right now are in a spot where they took – they did their rebuild and they won the division last year in 2021. And I think they're really in a competitive window now where last year they goofed it up. They went 500. I think they're on trajectory to really do the same type of thing. They lost Jose Abreu. Why on earth are you not putting the chips in right now, making some trades, making some free agent signings? I know Jerry Reinsdorf does not like to spend money, but I think you could still get creative with some of these trades and shake things up because it feels to me like this is going to end up being a flop of an era where the White Sox fans were really excited about something that was building up and it never really amounted to anything more than a division title. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. So how about the worst contract of the winter, Jay Fisher? Well, no one should ever give Correa money. <laughs> um oh god i mean that bogart deal is bad it's a lot of years it's it's a lot of years i i mean i hope it pays off for san diego i really do but i look at that contract and i go i don't i don't know about that um giving Degrom a lot of years is just again I I mean, DeGrom's fabulous as as a pitcher. There's, he's definitely worth top money. And I get that fact, but gosh, he is just so brittle that it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, to fashion those things. I, I'm sorry. I just can't look at that Bogart deal and, 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 and think anything other than, wow. I think adding to what you're saying about Bogart's, he's been a minus defensive player. Every yeah. single year of his career, minus last year. So that's that's another part of it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the big deals aren't great. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, agree. I, I I don't I don't like a lot of them. Like, I don't I don't like the judge deal. I don't like you know all the money that was given to Trey Turner. Like, I don't like all those deals. But you know, Brandon Nimmo got like a ton of money, yeah, right? Like, he I, did. I, 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 <laughs> I don't like any of those deals for the most part, but you know, they got them all power to them. Um, but gosh, to me, it's, it's not the money, it's the years. Yeah. And so, you know, when you, when you're, when you're giving 11 years to Xander Bogarts, like that is just crazy to me. I'm sorry. (laughs) And judge is um, like with that contract, I, this is another thing Brian Kenny will say he would go beyond five years to retain a player of his own, but not to add one on the open market. And I think there's so much value to just having judge as a Yankee for the rest of his career. Like that's one that I'm okay with. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's a lot of money, but I get, you know, he's a, he's the face of the franchise. They're making him the captain, you know, 62 home runs, all that sort of stuff. I get it. (laughs) You know, there's all that. Right. But yeah, it's, it's the, it's the years. (laughs) It's the years for like people that you're bringing in, right? Like, yeah, the the Padres are bringing in Xander Bogarts or like Correa going to the Mets for twelve years. Like, oh my <laughs> god, that's so many years. <laughs> I'm gonna be forty in twelve years. That's like, I'll be oh, sixty. I'll oh, be you're 60. Gonna, oh, you're gonna be forty in twelve years. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're still alive, Jack. It seems like it's so old at forty. I'll be sixty in twelve years. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be forty in negative one years from now. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh my gosh. Mario, you have any thoughts on worst contract shelled out of the winner? Well, I'll keep it short. My initial instinct was you know, what besides DeGrom? You mean besides that? <laughs> I cannot believe anyone's giving that much money. And again, admittedly, he's such a great pitcher when he's healthy, but man, how often is he healthy? Right. Exactly. Oh my yeah. God. And it's like, uh, I'll pull out the Indiana Jones quote here. It's not the years, honey. It's the mileage. <laughs> that's that's Jacob DeGrom. He's got a lot of miles on him. So, uh, yeah, the DeGrom one, I don't understand how that's going to work out well for anybody. But hopefully they get some exciting starts this year out of him. So over the last three years, how many trivia, How what was the most amount of starts that he made in a season over the last three years? Is it like 15 or something? Yeah, it's 15. Exactly. <laughs> wow. <laughs> then it was well, 11 in last year. And then in 2020, obviously COVID year, it was 12. But before that, he was a nice 31, 32, 32. He has not given, he has not thrown more than 100 innings in a season since, but he hasn't thrown, the most he's thrown in a season is 92 innings since 2019. The saving well, grace of that contract, and it's bad, you know, because I mentioned it and I, and I agree with Mario, it's only five years. Yeah. And I honestly feel like that that contract set the the market a little bit for some of these other guys to get even bigger contracts. Yeah. And the good news is he will be well rested for the playoffs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I know you guys got to run. So why don't you give us a little plug here on the Survivor Historians and anything else you guys are working on that you want people to check out? Plug the historians. Oh, God. <laughs> Okay, I'll, I'll go first here. Yeah, Jay and I run a podcast called The Survivor Historians, which is everything you need to know about Survivor history up until the part where, point where it was still interesting. So uh, <laughs> you can find it at survivorhistorians.podbean.com. And let's just say it's not a regular podcast. We don't put up out episodes every week or every month or perhaps every six months, but there are a lot of them in the back catalog. So if you want to read about or hear about Survivor history, we are the guys to listen to because we've been through all of it. So Go to that. That's the Survivor plug. My other thing is I have a movie podcast called Staff Picks. That's my big, uh, or I go through my favorite movies over the years that I think are underloved or underrated. And I have a guest on and we try to convince you to love this movie a little more. And you can find that at staffpicks.podbean.com. Well, and uh, your next episode, I believe your next episode is one that I am on. Yes. About Moneyball. So there you go, guys. That's a that's a nice one for you guys to check out. Yeah, later this week, I will have Jack Vita on as we discuss Moneyball, and we nerd out on how completely inaccurate that movie is, yet it still <laughs> works. It still works as a movie, even though they change so many details from the book. But we like it because he gets on base. Exactly. The aggregate, <laughs> the aggregate of, of Jack and me, the aggregate, is a good host. <laughs> yeah, so guys, make sure you check it out. Staff Picks, Survivor Historians. Jay, is there anything you want to promote? No. But uh, um, <laughs> I, I, I have been on staff picks. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I I did the movie Wrestlers Rhapsody a long time ago with Mario, which is yeah. just a fun little movie in and of its own. But uh, yeah, the historians, as Mario said, we we don't we don't do them that often. And for that, you know, you very generously said that we've been podcasting for 10 years. And so we've been podcasting for over 10 years. We're on season 22. So, you know, we don't go fast. <laughs> right. 10 years, 20 episodes. Yeah. <laughs> but they are not one. They are not one episode per season for the most part. Um, you know, we went back and did ep- did season one again and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we 
it takes us several episodes of in our each episode is at least three ish hours in length. And we talk about, you know, we just nerd out about Survivor for a long time. And we have covered, like I said, 22 plus seasons. There's a lot there. So if you're not uh, familiar with the podcast, there's a lot of stuff for you to go through. And also, I know that when Mario has come on, we've talked a little bit about why Survivor is interesting to us. And I know people who listen to this show are like, oh, cool. Like, I know Jack has had some Survivor contestants on. I've always been interested in checking it out. I haven't done it. Like, the historians, it's a great companion if you are interested in what reality TV was like in the earliest time when it was groundbreaking and really fascinating TV. And so if you guys want to check those episodes, watch the show, go to jackvita.com slash paramount. You can watch any season of Survivor uh, and you get a seven day free trial when you go through that link. But then you can listen to the historians break it down. And you can learn a lot of really cool behind the scenes stuff and uh, interesting tidbits about the show uh, from that point in time. Yeah, and the main thing is we don't really talk about strategy. We're not going through why people won or what the moves were. We talk about what the bigger picture was, what how the audience reacted to this, why something was edited a certain way, why one season leads to the other, like the reaction to one leads to the way the next one is edited. There's a lot more bigger picture stuff we're trying to present. It puts you in the mood of like a time capsule, what it was like to be there in 2000 to watch the show. So it's a different perspective than you get from any other Survivor podcast. Yeah, it's great. It's the only Survivor podcast I listen to. You guys do a fantastic job, so check it out. They're the Survivor historians, Jay Fisher, Mario Lanza. Thank you so much for coming on today, guys. I know Mario especially has to run now, uh, but this was a blast, and I hope we get to do this again sometime, maybe even with the Hall of Fame voting coming up in uh, sometime in later in January. Be Go, fun. Scott Rowland! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and let's root for a Mariners-Dodgers World Series. I want to finally see it this year. Gosh, and you know, like, if the Mariners and Dodgers go to the World Series and the Mariners win it, I wouldn't even be mad. And that's really? I, w- I wouldn't care if the Dodgers win. I just am excited. It would be a fun historic meeting. You mean you wouldn't, care, you wouldn't care if the Mariners win? Yeah, they're awesome. Wow. <laughs> yeah. See, that's the thing. We have, we have rival fans here who have genuine respect for each other and each other's teams. So it's an odd dynamic. I have an Ichiro jersey. Like, let's go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, guys, thank you so much. This is a blast. I And like I said, I hope we do this again soon. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. All right, y'all. That concludes my conversation today with Survivor historians Jay Fisher and Mario Lanza. That was a lot of fun. It was great to finally have Jay on the show and have Mario return. I meant it when I said it. I'd love to have them back again sometime. I'm sure you'll hear from them again this year in 2023. I guess technically... It's still 2022, but in 2023, we will do it again with those guys. So I'm going to be back next week with a new episode with Ryan Dull, uh, who pitched for the Oakland A's, and he's currently in independent league baseball, trying to work his way back into the show. It's a really fun conversation. I've actually already recorded it, so you guys are really going to enjoy that. So make sure you're out on the lookout for that one. Subscribe to the Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast. Make sure that you hit subscribe and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We're going to have, like I said, lots of great content in 2023. You're not going to want to miss it. You can follow me on social media at Jack Vita Show. And until our next episode with Ryan Dull, I'm Jack Vita. 
bring in the dancing lobsters. 